Well, good morning, Somas Church. We are thrilled you're here today. If, you, uh, if you're able, we'd invite you to stand now as we join our voices in worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you sing with us?
What an awesome song. Ah, that's who we are, his, and he's preparing a place for us, and I can't wait to see mine. I can't wait to see yours, too. I hope all of you are going. Uh, now we're going to dismiss our children. Our children's ministry is back in effect, and so we're going to dismiss them. Thank you, Cynthia. Pray for her today because God had plan A. He made it his plan A. Um, the Internet's not working over there, so pray for her as she revamps. Um, did you notice we have some new faces on the platform? Matt yes, isn't it wonderful? This is an old face, Mac. <laughs> but we love this old we love this old face. And then we have Fred, who is new to our congregation, and he's helping us today. And wow, what a blessing already. There's other people in his family that also minister, so we're praying for them to be up here one day. So um, let's go to our next song. Let's just worship the Lord.
Lord, I pray that that is the that is a truthful and and uh, and honest response that each one of us, of us have this morning. That it is well with our souls, Lord. It is not well in this nation, Father God. And you know that. You see, things are <clears throat> somewhat out of control at times. But we know, Lord, that you are in control, and you have uh, our hearts, you have our lives, and you have our future in your hands because we've we've given it to you, and uh, we're, we're just trusting you to to be to continue to be our God to lead us and Father God you as you led your nation Israel with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day God we, we're trusting your Holy Spirit to lead us daily and sometimes Father we're distracted by <clears throat> things in life that just seem to be overwhelming but you Lord we need you to sometimes just wake us up remind us in the day when we're walking or eating or talking that you're right there uh, your holy spirit you said that you would never leave us and never forsake us and we're resting on that promise god and um i have to confess lord I've, I've been i've been pretty discouraged and uh, and i confess that i shouldn't um i need to be looking up at you and trusting you Anyway, Lord, um, you've given us the book of James, which is uh, probably the most practical book in your, in, your, in your New Testament about how to live and how we're supposed to love each other and treat each other and how to respond to even persecution, things that happen in our world that we don't understand. And uh, we thank you for the book of James. We thank you for our pastor who spends the majority of his time thinking and praying about us and what we need to hear. Uh, that's, a, that's a real privilege, God. We're just thank, thankful that we live in a place where we can still congregate, we can still meet, and um, we know what that's like to not be able to do. And, Father, we pray for uh, people around the world that have uh, lived that way constantly in fear of the government. But, Lord, we, we are, we're free, and you've given us a, a great privilege to be here and to, uh, to hear your word fashioned just for us, what we need to hear. Uh, we thank God that uh, we have a pastor who uh, listens to us and talks to us. And he knows our needs almost, almost like you do, Father. We just thank you for that. Now we just pray for him as he breaks the word of God open and, and speaks to us and teaches us from your word. We pray that you'd give uh, him remembrance of the things that he's prepared, prepare our hearts um, that, that we'll learn and be more molded into your image. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see some more familiar faces with us today. And uh, what a blessing to have Fred and Mac both join us on the worship team. Please turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. Going to the book of James chapter 1. If you'd like to take notes, this would be a great time to get out that pen and paper and follow along by taking any notes. So we look at the book of James. As has been already prayed. It's a very practical book. It's a different book uh, than the other New Testament book. It is, uh, it is almost like a Proverbs. You know, uh, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs it gives... 
these uh, just bits of information how to live. And so we get this bit of information, and we go, and there's another bit of information, there's another bit of information how to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. But also during this study of the book of James, we will be challenged. Our faith will be challenged. And this morning, there's a great challenge that's going to be put before us. Our faith will be challenged as we go through the book of James. So James chapter 1, let's read four verses, then we'll stop and go back and review these four verses. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. And that greetings is like a, a joyous, it's a happy uh, uh, greeting that is being betrayed in the original language. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Let me stop and say, give you help with this patience. Also has the idea of persevering, perseverance, you know, through difficult times, that, that, that this doesn't stop us, that, that we work through uh, whatever is in our way, these hard times, difficult times. Or the word steadfastness, I like the word steadfastness, you know, be, being steadfast. You know, this, this ministry uh, is here because of some steadfast people, and it's gone through some difficult times and some great times. But the steadfastness and the pillars of, of the ministry have kept this ministry going. And James is addressing this. He says, but let patience have its perfect work that ye may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So the subject of these verses is a universal subject. It's, the, it's about the troubles of life. And so we can all identify with what James is talking here in this first few verses. Now, the question is, how can we experience joy through our trials? You remember, we just read, James says, when you have troubles in life, count it all joy. So how can we marriage troubles and joy together? How can we do that? That's a difficult thing, isn't it? Uh, You know, most of the times when trials come, we get angry, we get depressed, we get discouraged, frustrated, uh, all those things that above or below. And, and so James says, I want you to count joy when you are going through difficult times. Oh, my goodness, how can we do that? Well, let's look at this. We've heard more than once that we are living in an unprecedented time, but it certainly isn't an unprecedented time in the history of mankind. History reveals that there has been pandemics, there have been culture clashes before, and there'll probably be some more. History is a great teacher about life. And so we're going to James, and we're going to go back up and look at James and see what is written to us. He writes this letter during a time which he personally observed and experienced great loss and sorrow because he was just a follower of Jesus Christ, actually a follower of his big brother, Jesus. So he's writing this letter, and he's writing to new believers that the trials that they were going through is a great opportunity to experience joy. I certainly don't look like that. Look at trials as, man, this is a great opportunity to receive joy. I kind of do the opposite. 
But James is saying we can learn how do we have joy through trials. How can we do this? James is going to tell us that, that joy is experienced with our trial by what we know and believe about God. Now, this isn't something that we're going to talk that has to do and that we tap into our feelings or emotions. But is what we know is the key and what we believe about God is the key to experience joy through our trials. So let's go back to verse 1 again. We just read verse 1, but I want to go back and kind of do a little review to, to talk about the man behind this book, James. James, a bondservant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that James, as I said, was the brother of Jesus. He becomes a believer in Christ as an adult and ends up in, in, out of respect, and, and he just, just gravitates towards the top and he eventually becomes the leader of the uh, church there in Jerusalem, one of the, the leaders, uh, probably the lead pastor of Jerusalem. We've pointed out last week that James opens his letter with great humility, very humble individual. James identifies himself as a bondservant, one who serves Jesus. He's all in. Remember, uh, like being born into slavery for a whole his life, is that this is what James considered himself in his relationship to Jesus Christ. We see that James follow his, his uh, big brother's footsteps. As Paul writes in Philippians, that James, or excuse me, that Jesus humbled himself as a servant. So listen what Paul says, a description of Jesus. And we can also f- see that, that James has the same character, had the same footprints that Jesus made while he was here upon the earth as well. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. James did that. He had equal status, not that James had equal status with God, but Jesus is talking about, Paul's addressing Jesus. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. Again, we're talking about Jesus. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. I believe that James caught something as he watched Jesus. He caught a lifestyle of bondservant, of being a servant of others, of humbling and lifting others up before himself. Both Jesus and James could claim to be somebody, but they chose to be a nobody. And James' claim to frame was that I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to know. Not that I'm the brother of Jesus. I'm the lead pastor. I want you to know that I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite songs that Casting Crowns sings is, is, is a song that says, Only Jesus. And this truly could be easily be said about James. And the words of the song goes and that we can identify that the man behind James, if the song fits it. Says, the song goes, make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself, dream your dreams, chase your heart above all, make a name the world remembers. 
But all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the light when it was up to me to make a name the world remembers. But Jesus is the only name to remember. I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. And I've got only one life to live. I let every second point to him, only Jesus. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won will crumble into dust when it's said and done. Because all that really mattered, did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there is only one whose name will last forever? I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. I believe that James lived as a bondservant to Jesus Christ. It's always he was pushing Jesus before himself. It's Jesus. What does Jesus want in my life? Jesus is the answer. And truly it has been said and prayed that Jesus is the answer to this world problem. The brokenness of the world can't fix itself because the world is broken. But Jesus comes along and he is the great physician that can heal our world. He can heal our lives. He can heal our families. He can heal our marriages. And when James opens the letter, he states his name. He immediately points to God and the Son of Jesus Christ, and, and the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he talks about others. James' life was totally devoting to loving God and loving others. And I say all this is that there's a fundamental point here that we need to understand in how James lived his life. He lived his life with a biblical worldview. See, James interpreted life through God's word. This means that he viewed life through the Bible, especially through the words of Jesus Christ. He would look at life and see life, and then he would bring it to the word of God and let it sift through the word of God. He would look at his, his life and the experiences that he was personally experienced, and he would take that experience, he'd take those thoughts, and he'd bring them into the word of God, those events and circumstances, and he would filter them through God's word. Listen, when we look at the book of James, it's interesting. As James mentions the name of Jesus, his older brother, talks a lot about Jesus, but he only mentioned James, uh, excuse me, Jesus' name in these five chapters only three different times. But there are more joyful recollection of Jesus' word in these five chapters of James than the combined writings of Paul, Peter, and John all put together. James fondly reminisces. He watched closely who Jesus was, and he watched his word. He listened to his word, and he texted, kind of like what Mary did. He, she pondered the words of Jesus and kept them in her heart. The book of James, like no other book in the Bible in the New Testament, has 20 references to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you were to take the Sermon on the Mount in the book of James, you will see that he mentions this, and there's a connection, there's a parallel um, uh, uh, writings of the Sermon on the Mount in the book of James. 
And so as we step into the teachings of James, you must understand that he had a biblical worldview. Put the Bible in front of him and he looked at the world. Life for him, for James, was interpreted through God's word. As said by Charles Colson, uh, who was the former special counselor to President Nixon, and he went to prison because of some things that he was guilty of. During prison, he began a relationship with God that was real and profound, and he founded the prison fellowship. And he said this, he said, the term worldview may sound abstract or philosophical, a topic discussed by pipe-smoking, tweed-jacketed professors in academic settings. But actually, a person's worldview is intensely practical. It's intensely practical. It is simply the sum total of our beliefs about the world, the big picture that directs our daily decisions and actions. You see, what I'm saying is that your worldview is linked to your daily decisions and actions. It's important. And so James is a very practical book to help us to see the world as James saw the world and to see our lives like James saw his life. So how can we see joy through our trials in life? I want to give you three things this morning. So three points this morning, and there is much more to be given on this subject as we go through the rest of this chapter. But for this morning, let's look at three things that we can have joy through our trials in life. And the first one is, joy is experienced with trials through a biblical worldview. See, we must filter life experiences through God's view. And my friend, this is the only way that you can come to see joy through trials. You must take this position that I'm going to look, look at this world, the world as a whole, and my world through biblical lens and filters. So James opens up to what he is writing. He happened to be writing to new believers. You ever think about that? That you remember that the church exploded and 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 on, on that whole church in New Jerusalem, primarily besides those 122, 120 that were there in the upper room praying, that primary this was a brand new church and new believers, new Christians, and James writes to them. And they they become scattered throughout the world. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts if you like to follow along in the scripture. And I want to read a, a, a few verses from Acts as, as we see that the, 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 the church grows. But as the church grows, there, there comes a persecution on the church. In Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen is stoned to death. And he's stoned to death because of his belief in Jesus Christ. And no doubt... James would have known Stephen. And so he knew uh, st who Stephen was, and he maybe even saw, he definitely heard what happened to his brother in Christ, Stephen. Let's read a few verses from Acts. It says, Saul, later called Paul, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. 
and a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. It says, on that day began, at Stephen's martyr, something excited the people, and they they're no doubt the religious leaders who, who were, were instigating, and not only putting Jesus to death, but Stephen to death, and now Paul was stepping in, and he became zealous for uh, a false religion and caused a persecution to sweep over the, the church in Jerusalem, and it started that day. goes on to say in verse 2, some devout men and came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw him into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Our Jewish, a Jewish historian, Josephus, says, there is no city, no tribe, whether Greek or barbarian, in which Jewish law and Jewish customs have not taken root during this time. The Jews were scattered all of the world, and of course we believe that this was only God's purpose to get the gospel out into the uttermost parts of the world. It's likely that James knew some of these scattered Christians, these new believers. See, perhaps he was even their, their pastor. Maybe had counseled them, or maybe had even had caused some kind of ceremony, maybe their wedding, and maybe even been instrumental in, in seeing them baptized. And then they were scattered. And so when we write this letter, it's a personal letter. He says in verse 2, he says, My brethren, which also was talking about sisters as well, but my bro- brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. James said, when you fall into difficult times, and notice that it says, when you do. If you like to write in your Bible, you ought to circle that word when. When you do, not if you do. When you do, when you are going to face difficult times. Jesus said this when he was in John, said this in John 16, 33, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Now, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so James is telling us when you fall into trials and difficult times, and some of you right now, you may have been going through some difficult times. Maybe that you're just coming out, but here's the, here's the good news. It's not so good news, but if you're not going into a trial, guess what? Guess what's up ahead? You are going to go into a trial. And James says we should count it all joy. Now, characteristic of this trial, that what James is saying is, is that it says, it says, when you fall into. And it's the idea that James is trying to point out is that in this, in this trial, this, this trial that God uh, is going to allow us to go through, is that's going to be a, a progressive trial. It's not going to be a step-by-step trial, and we're going to see it coming, and we're going to be able to prepare ourselves. No, he says, when you fall into it. I mean, you're, you're walking along one day, and things are going well, and then all of a sudden, you fall into something. It's a surprise. It's an intense moment. 
I draw your attention back to, you remember when, when we just read of the book of Acts and how's that, how that Stephen was there and, and, and he, he was tried and, and then all of a sudden they grabbed him and they took him out and in an instant moment he had it fell into a time of trial and he was stoned to death for his belief. And then the scripture says, and then the, the persecution spread across Jerusalem. I mean, they didn't have time to prepare for this. It started that day, and I don't know who the first house that went to, but there was a house that Saul came to, and they knocked on the door. They knew that they were believers, and, and there they were. And in a sad condition, sad circumstances, they were dragged out of that because of their belief and faith in Jesus Christ. They were plunged into immediate, intense time. Now, that's not good news to us. That's not something to really rejoice about, but James is saying here, says, yes, when we come to those times in our life and we're blindsided by something, when something comes over us and it's quickly, it's instant, and whatever that may look like, that we can have an opportunity to experience joy in that time. The question is not how to avoid these sudden trials. But the question for us today, when we do face trials, how do we respond? Is our faith mature enough to be able to say, I see joy out of this trial? James tells us, count it all joy. Our maturity as a believer becomes evident in our response to tough situations. Trials challenge our faith. It seems that these sudden, intense Falling into trouble is the ultimate test of our faith. It's what James starts off in. And if he had a mind to, to strengthen the believers, he had a mind to challenge their faith, he starts with trials, and trials are difficult. They are kind of the litmus test of where our faith is at. Now listen to this. My friend, this isn't about faking it until you make it joyful. Oh, praise God. And then you're crying on the inside. You're hurting down. You're sorrow there. This is, you know, if you look at the scriptures, if anything that the scriptures and what God wants us to be and what the world needs to see, we need to be authentic believers in Jesus Christ. And I love the authenticity that Joe prayed. He admitted, he opened up himself. That's where God can really work and the world can see something that's very real when we're authentic, that we're not faking this. We're not trying to, to empower, try to do something and muster up into our own strength to do something. Laughing on the outside and crying on the inside. This isn't what God wants. This isn't what James is talking about. To count it all joy is not to pretend that you're having fun in the middle of a difficult time. We're not talking about fun. It is difficult. It's hard to face something that terrible tragedy that happens to us in our life. 
It's difficult for some people who have gone through some very great experiences as believers that they, they, they went through not only in the past, but, but in the present. And, and they're Christians that till to today that, that are suffering. And they, and they estimate that persecution is a, to, for believers is greater than has ever been in the history of this world. It's not fun to, to go through this. But rather, it is to base your joy on the promise of what God intends to do with that trial is the key. See, God always gives us these trials to intentionally work it out for your good and for good for others. One of my favorite writers is John Piper. And John Piper said this, says, this is not a little piece of advice about the power of positive thinking. This is an utterly radical, abnormal, supernatural way to respond to suffering. It is not in our power. It is not for the sake of our honor. It is the way spiritual aliens, exiles, live on the earth for the glory of the great king. You will stand apart like no other. I remember one time, my dad was a pastor and we were doing a building project, Mac and I were talking about the building of this building. He was the night watchman for uh, the, the church here when it was built. And uh, my dad was telling, uh, uh, I remember tell, uh, hearing this, this story about my dad. And they were building this building and he was out there working and, and hammering. And there was some contractors who were not believers and they knew my dad was the pastor. And so they were watching him. They were observing, you know, how is he Who's, you know, this is the pastor. Many of them probably had never worked on a construction site with a pastor. Maybe you have never known a pastor. One of the times my dad took, uh, as he was hammering a nail, he hit the wrong nail. You know what I'm talking about? And man, it just, you know, blood was squirting and and, and the, 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 uh, contractor, the, the late contractor guy named Mr. Reed, who was a believer, was working right next to my, my, my dad. And uh, so my dad went over to get some band-aids, stopped the bleeding, and so he leaves, and these, these other guys come up to him and says, uh, said, hey, and they didn't know Mr. Reed was a believer. And they, they said, uh, hey, uh, we want to know what that pastor said when he hit his nail, the wrong nail. And then the, Mr. Reed, who had a kind of little twinkle in his eye, and he said, you really want to know? I said, yeah, yeah, we, we want to know what this pastor said. He's a Christian. We want to know what he had to say. He said, okay, but I promise you don't tell anybody. Okay, all right. So he said, and he stuck up his thumb. And he said, well, looky there, I hit my thumb. That was it. And they knew they'd been had. And I have never heard my dad cuss in his life. That was him. Here's what I'm saying, is that our trials put us and a platform where we can be totally different, like aliens 
from a different planet. Listen, if you respond to trials like the world responds to, you're no different than the world. You're not a set apart. But now if we go through difficult times and we can find and discover that there is joy even in the midst of our trials, that is something different that the world knows nothing of. This is the will of God that in every trial that we can sum it up. It's all for joy because we know God is at work. I believe that we would agree with this, that we live today where where comfort and ease is a priority, isn't it? I mean, we like padded pews. We like air conditioning. We like, I remember uh, growing up, you know, uh, this is old days, and some some of you may not even, uh, you know, remember this or may not have ever experienced it. But you know, back in the old, old days, and I know Mac will get this, we used to have to get out of our chair to turn the TV channel. <laughs> Do you remember those hard days, those difficult days? You had to walk from where you're sitting, Josh, and you had to go. You remember? You're that old. And so you remember you had to go over there, and you had, or else you had to ask your wife who was doing dishes to come in and change the channel for you. I mean, those were difficult days. But then remote remote came out. Oh, my goodness. You can sit in the lazy boy chair. You can sit there for hours and never move and flip channels. But now you don't even have to do that. All you have to do is speak, and it changed the channel. Pretty soon they're going to get a wire into our brain, and we'll think it, and they'll change. We loved comfort and ease in life, don't we? We want to live without pain and suffering. We don't want to go to the dentist and feel pain. We don't want to feel, doctor, give it to it. Just load me up so I don't feel a thing. We want that. We want our lives to be trouble-free. Now, James comes and says, the trials and suffering is the gateway to maturity. He says, well, I don't, we don't want to take that away because, because that is, that is the, the door that you can go through to mature. That we can only learn some lessons through difficult and stressful times. And so number two, joy is experienced when we see trials as the gateway to mature us in Christ. Again, as we go back to verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. They're various. When you fall and immediately they're upon you, knowing, and you ought to circle that word knowing, because it's not about emotions, it's not about, about, it's about knowledge, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness. But let patience have its perfect word, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's the goal. And the goal to get to maturity, to lack, to be to one that can persevere, is a road or a path of going through difficult times in our life. And we come to that place. When we count 
add up, step back and sum it all up with our trials. What God is doing through a trial, we rejoice. It brings joy to our hearts and recognize that God is growing us into maturity. We're becoming steadfast. You can see how what once bothered you no longer upset. There is a joy in place of anxiety. We are maturing where nothing will move us. We are becoming like the rock that Jesus Christ is. The storms may blow against us. The rain may beat on us. Floods may come. But we are like Jesus, steadfast. Our gaze is fixed. We are like Stephen as the stones were hurled against his flesh. He persevered with his eyes on Jesus like James who was thrown from the temple. But when he hit the ground, it is said he kept praying for those who wanted to harm him. It brings great joy when we know God is growing into us such steadfastness that nothing, nothing will stop us from loving God and loving others, that we will continue on like James. Let me give you one last important point that makes or breaks the point of having joy among our trials. Joy is experienced with trials if we believe in the sovereignty of God. This makes or breaks us with this. Do we believe in the sovereignty of God? There's nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. God is in complete, total control. Psalms 103.10 says, The Lord has made the heavens His throne. From there He rules everything from His throne. I know if you go to the insurance company and say a tree has fallen into your house, you know what they do? They, they call that an act of God. There are no accidents with God, only acts of God. God is in complete control. He is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. The sovereignty of God. And I don't understand all how that works, but I knew that everything that happens in the world, He allows to happen according to His purpose, His plan, His will. Even Satan himself, he raises his ugly ass. God uses him for good. I remember in Bible college, you know, in Bible college, you're always, you're pretty poor for most of, most, most of the students. And I had this old car that um, I depended upon getting from work. I worked my way through college. And, and um, uh, you know, it, it was vital that I get use this car because it was the means for me to be able to get to work and, and around. And I remember one time I was having troubles with it. And one of the other students there in the Bible college was a mechanic. And so I went up to him and I asked him, hey, I'm having some difficulties with this car and won't run. And he said, well, let's look at it. So we met and he, you know, pulled up the hood and started looking at things. And I don't remember what was wrong as distributor or something like that. And, and, um, and then we were just having a hard time getting, getting fixed. And he kept, kept you know, diagnosing and just troubles. And finally, he just stepped back. He said, well, praise the Lord. We're having trouble with this. 
And I looked at him. I said, what, are you nuts? Why would you say that? I need this car to run. And you're saying, praise God that it doesn't run, that it's broke, and there's a problem with it. Well, I just thought he was so crazy. And then, but later on, I got to thinking about what he said. And it's true. If we truly believe that God is the sovereign of God, that God is in control and that God allows things to happen in our life. That these trials, that, that they can make us better to be more like Jesus Christ. We can praise God through that. We can do that. You know, the sudden phone calls, those are those things. God does allow those things to happen for whatever reason in our life. And so... Joy is experienced through a biblical worldview. It's a gateway to mature. But also, we've got to believe in the sovereignty of God to have joy through the trials. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. So it's time for us to reflect. How do the trials in our life match up to what James is saying? It's a challenge. It challenges right from the get-go. This is a big one. How do we respond to those difficult moments? We're blindsided by something going one way and then all of a sudden our whole world is upside down. James says, listen, look at the big picture of what God is doing. Don't get focused on that negative event. Focus on what God is doing as a whole through this. And you'll come to agree and even praise Him for it. Oh, don't we want to be like Jesus Christ? Don't we want to be like James? Have that steadfastness, unmovable. Well, let's respond with these as trials to make us and grow us. That we'll go into these trials and we'll come out. We'll go into these trials, these difficulties, and we'll come out. But each time we go through, we get to be more like Jesus Christ. We get to be more like Him and less of the old man get to be more like Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, you're the one who places your throne at the highest point in the universe, the one who is the total source of all wisdom, 
whose strengths cannot be measured, the one who loves us more than our mind can comprehend, the one who we get to call our Father, and he calls us that believe in him, his children, our shepherd, our Lord and Savior. Father, we ask for wisdom to see that our world, see that our world and our experiences in the world through a biblical worldview. Help us to see life as you see it. We ask for power to believe that the trials that we experience are the gates, are the steps up to mature in our faith. So that we will not be tossed back and forth, but remain on course, having Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we ask for faith to believe that you, God, and only you have complete control over our world. That what happens to us first passes through your sovereign hands. We desire to know more about who you are. That we may continue to, to mature into a likeness of Jesus Christ. In the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I ask you to stand with me as we sing our final song for this morning and sing it as a prayer of belief and confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ because of what we believe, not how we feel, but what we believe. If you're here this morning and you'd like some help, it would be a help anyway, please come up to us, let us know, or there's some connection cards, share those prayer requests, those needs. And we'd be glad to pray with you or meet with you. And there is offering boxes at the end, uh, on the way out uh, for those who would like to give their tithes and offering. Let's sing this great song.
imagine that day? Oh, I hope it's today, unless someone in this room is unsaved. If you doubt, if you have any, any, any question, please be humble and come and ask because one day it will be too late. Go enjoy God this week. Be it, make a difference in your world. We love you guys. <laughs> <laughs>